when Jesus was baptized, a voice from heaven actually declared, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus had obviously pleased his heavenly Father. It was a glorious day of affirmation and inauguration into ministry. He had left behind the responsibilities of the carpenter shop, and his brothers and sisters were able to assume the care of his mother, Joseph having apparently died by them. It was time to begin his ministry. Now, he already knew the general direction his ministry would have to take. And he knew where it would have to end. He had known that from the very foundation of the world. But now that he was a man, could he do it? Did he have the resolve needed to follow the necessary course? It was time to be tested. Jesus knew it. The Spirit knew it. And Satan knew it. The Spirit viewed it as a time of testing, a time for Jesus to wrestle with the options and make the right choices. Satan viewed it as a time of temptation, a chance to get Jesus off course. And Jesus was tempted. He had become a man. And as a man, he had to be tempted in all things as we are. If he was to become a high priest who could sympathize with our weaknesses, as Hebrews 4.15, and Casey read for us this morning, declares him to be, he had to face the same struggles we face. For 30 years, he had successfully faced basic human struggles, so his testing didn't begin after his baptism, but it did intensify when he made public his commitment to please his Heavenly Father. The same is true of us. The most intense period of testing we will face is often right after a decision to deepen our commitment to the Heavenly Father. Now, many experience severe testing shortly after their baptism. Others experience it when they decide to teach or serve as an elder or go into full-time ministry. Satan strikes hard at those high points on our spiritual journey in the hopes it pulls down as quickly as possible. And Jesus had just publicly committed himself to enter the ministry ordained for him, so he was about to be tempted. Tempted to please self, others, and even Satan more than his heavenly Father. Let's see what we can learn about the temptations we too face as we venture into the wilderness 
with Christ. We first see him tempted to please self. We're in the fourth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now Mark tells us that immediately after his baptism, Jesus was impelled by the Spirit to go out into the wilderness. He had to be alone, and he had to be tested. Now, we get the impression from Matthew that it was only after 40 days of fasting that Jesus was tempted, but Mark and Luke make it clear that Jesus was being tempted all during the 40 days. For 40 days, he struggled most likely struggling to set the course he would follow for the next three years. And it was an intense struggle. He was alone in the wilderness, with wild animals and without food, being hammered by Satan with doubts and questions and alternatives. I think the intensity of the struggle can be seen in the fact that it was only after 40 days of going without food that Jesus became hungry. Now, that's, that's a real fast. When you're so involved in spiritual conflict and spiritual desire that you don't even think about eating for 40 days. Eventually, Jesus became hungry. And it was then that Satan spoke up and said, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, Jesus knew he was the Son of God. His parents may very well have told him of the events surrounding his birth. And God had audibly confirmed the fact that he was his son just 40 days earlier. But a lot had happened in those last 40 days. Jesus had been alone, exposed to dangers, and he was hungry. You know, would God allow his son to go through that? Maybe Satan was trying to plant a seed of doubt here. Or maybe he was simply challenging Jesus to use his powers to meet a personal need. Now, it would be no big deal for the Son of God to turn stones into bread. And now that Satan had pointed out how like little loaves of bread the stones looked lying there, why not? They would hurt. On the surface, it did look like no big deal. In fact, it sounds like a good idea. But Jesus saw through the suggestion. He hadn't come to earth to have lunch. He hadn't 
been led into the wilderness to make bread. It was a time of testing. You know, those 40 days in the wilderness was in some ways similar to Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. There, they had learned to obey, they had learned to trust, they had learned to depend on their Heavenly Father. Now, if you know your history, you know their lessons were short-lived, but God had used their time in the wilderness to prepare them to enter the Promised Land. But Jesus recalled the scriptural account, and apparently saw parallels between his experience and theirs. He even got his response to Satan from the account. In Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 3, we read, All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give your forefathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these forty years, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you be hungry, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. More was at stake here than a loaf of bread. Jesus was being tempted to use his gifts and abilities to please himself rather than to please his heavenly Father. As a son of God, Jesus had miraculous powers and he would use them during the course of the next three years. But how would they be used? That was the test. If they were used selfishly, to meet personal needs, what would that say to us? You know, not only had he come to be crucified, he had also come to teach us to crucify self. How could he teach that? If whenever he was hungry or thirsty, he miraculously whipped up something to eat or drink. No, he hadn't come to earth to please himself. And we are not given gifts and abilities to please ourselves either. What we have been given is to be used to bring honor and glory and pleasure to our Heavenly Father. Our relationship with God wasn't established for our personal pleasure. It was for His pleasure. Not true. Being in fellowship with our Heavenly Father brings us much joy and great pleasure. But that's not our purpose in life, and that shouldn't be the goal of our religious experience. 
You know, far too many today choose where they will worship and what kind of service they will perform on the basis of the pleasure it brings to them. Shouldn't our primary consideration be the pleasure it brings to our Heavenly Father? It was for Jesus. He passed the test when he was tempted to please self. But as testing was it over, he was then tempted to please others. Verses 5 through 7. Then the devil took him into the holy city, and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, when it says the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple... We can't be sure if this was a physical or spiritual experience. The Apostle Paul, when writing of being caught up to the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12, said he didn't know if his experience had been done in the body or apart from the body. The nature of his experience didn't matter to Paul. So there's really no need to concern ourselves with the nature of Jesus' journey to the pinnacle of the temple. What we do know is that once he was there, either in the flesh or in the spirit, Satan said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Now it was 450 feet from the pinnacle of the temple to the floor of the Kidron Valley outside the temple wall. But Satan assured him he had nothing to worry about. Hadn't God promised in Psalm 91 to protect those who would put their trust in him? And if Jesus was indeed the Son of God, surely God wouldn't let anything bad happen to him. The angels would no doubt protect him. Now, do notice here that Satan can quote Scripture. He can twist it and misapply it to serve his purposes as readily as we can. Also notice that Jesus used Scripture to answer Scripture. He didn't simply accept the application of a quotation without thinking it through or bringing it alongside other passages of Scripture. He simply said, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, we do need to ask, Who was it that was being put to the test here? Was God being put to the test? Was Satan's temptation a test of God's faithfulness, as some believe it to be? Well, if Satan 
was suggesting, as it appears to be, that God had promised to keep his son from pain and death, jumping might be a test of God's faithfulness. But then again, did God actually promise that to his son or to anyone? Some 38 years later, James, the brother of Jesus, would actually be thrown from the pinnacle of the temple by the scribes and Pharisees. And God didn't intervene to save his life. So was God unfaithful in letting him die? Not at all. Not at all. You know, God lets us all die sooner or later. That's how we put on our imperishable body. So jumping from the pinnacle and risking death would not be a test of God's faithfulness. No, the, the Lord, your God, being put to the test wasn't God in heaven. It was Jesus. I think Jesus was here referring to himself when he spoke of the Lord your God. And if that's the case, in what way was Jesus being tempted or tested? I believe he was being tempted to set the course of his ministry on a path of pleasing others, of meeting expectations. Malachi had prophesied that the Lord would suddenly appear in his temple, and with evidence that many were expecting the Messiah to miraculously appear in the temple. The little stunt suggested by Satan would certainly meet those expectations. But Jesus wasn't out to please the crowds. He was committed to pleasing his heavenly Father. His ministry wasn't to be a religious sideshow. He used miracles to confirm who he was and the truth of what he said, but he downplayed the miraculous. He often told those who, who witnessed them to tell no one what they had seen. Jesus didn't come into town and put up banners saying, Come to the miracle service. He didn't do that. He didn't seek popularity. He sought to please his heavenly Father. Now, obviously, we should do the same. It's very tempting to do what others expect us to do. There are volumes and volumes of books written to tell us how to draw in the masses. It's tempting. It's tempting. You know, we like the approval of our peers. But what they want and what God wants are not always the same. Even in church, we have to be careful. If our motives for service our motive is pleasing others. What's going to happen when they're no longer pleased? You know, people are fickle. 
And what if our desire to please others blinds us to the revealed or even perceived will of God? It's so easy to convince ourselves we're doing what God wants us to do if people praise us for what we're doing. Or we're held up as an example of what others ought to do. It's not always the case. We better decide right now who it is we're going to please. Jesus was tempted to please self. He was tempted to please others. And he was even tempted to please Satan. Let's read that. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Now there's no physical mountain high enough to offer a view of all the kingdoms of the world, so this must have been a visionary journey. In fact, according to Luke, Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. How he did it is of little consequence. What he said is. In Luke 4, 6, we get a little more of the devil's dialogue. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me. And I give it to whomever I wish. Now it is true that Satan is called the God of this world because he has blinded so many to the truth. And we sometimes feel as if God has handed the world to Satan, but he hasn't. Satan lied. When he said all the kingdoms of the world and their glory belong to him, he has limited dominion and his power is held in check by Almighty God. God is still in control. In fact, according to Psalm 2, the second half of verse 7 and verse 8, God had already told his anointed Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. What Satan promised had already been given to Jesus by his father. Satan really had nothing to give to Jesus. But he could have made things a whole lot easier for him. But from the very beginning, Satan desired to be like God. He coveted God's position 
And to have the Son of God bow before him would certainly make his day. He may very well have backed off and just basked in the glory of the moment. And he would have gladly given up temporary dominion over the hearts and lives of sinners to enjoy the worship of God's Son. Besides, if Jesus would worship and serve him, there would be no need to fight against him. Why oppose someone you've already conquered? Satan could have given Jesus three years of unhindered success on earth and would have gladly done so if Jesus had simply bowed before him. But if he had done so, he would have failed in his mission to conquer sin and death. Satan knew that. And so did Jesus. That's why he said, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And in this instance, the Lord your God can refer to either God or Jesus or both. The point is that Jesus had been tempted to please Satan in order to make his own burden lighter. But he didn't yield to the temptation. And neither can we. Now, I doubt that any of us have consciously entertained the thought of pleasing Satan. It sounds preposterous to us. But yet, how many times have we made decisions that in fact did please him? How many times have we compromised our principles because we didn't want to suffer for taking a stand? How often have we sought the path that would bring us immediate gratification or greater ease without considering the final outcome of such action? To do so brings Satan even more pleasure than it brings to us. We need to face temptations, as did our Lord. And we need to be honest with ourselves. Who is it that is most pleased by the decisions we make? Is it self, others, Satan, or the Lord our God? And make no mistake, every decision we make is a test. Do we really want to please our Heavenly Father? We need to ask ourselves that. And if you think that you do, are you willing to promise them that you will? Will you honestly and carefully consider His will before making any decisions 
this week. If you will, I invite you to tell him so as we stand together and sing, O oh Jesus, I promised to stand.